So thankful that you guys are with us this weekend. We never ever want to take for granted the fact that any of us, all of us could be anywhere else but here right now. All right, And you're here. And I think that's an amazing thing. And I think God wants to do something with that choice to be here. And so my name is Ben. Uh, I have my job around here is the joy of getting to serve and love and lead our young adults connected in the return. And so and they are loud. Okay. They do that when I offer them ice cream, too. But uh, no, I, I hope you were encouraged by these loud mouths, because I'm telling you right now, there's so much life and love and vibrancy in them, and they're sharing that with the rest of us. And so I hope your hearts are encouraged by that. But while we're yelling at everybody, can we welcome all the folks over the video venue into the room with us right now? And everybody who is online in somewhere warmer than here. We love you and we're thankful that you're with us this weekend. But I tell you, here's what we're going to do. Time is ticking. We're going to get to it. I am so grateful for the opportunity to tag in here on week seven of our Rooted series. And if you just join us for the first time or you've kind of been in and out over these last handful of weeks, here's where we've been. We've just been unpacking some simple, basic truths about how we connect with God and why it matters so much that we do that we would connect with him in a deep way, in a deeper way, and therefore connect with the life of the church, with others, the body of believers, and live out our purpose. That's what we've been going after. This idea of how we root ourselves and step into the story that God is writing. Here's the way I always frame it. It's just this, that we would put our roots in the right dirt and keep them there. And all of it's coming from this mindset that I think the Apostle Paul gives us in Colossians 2. This is one of my most favorite passages and letters in all of Scripture. It's Colossians 2 where he says this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to him. You will, that you would let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. That, let your, let you, that you will grow in faith strong and vigorous in the truth that you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all that he's done. I love this. I think Paul is simply saying, get your roots in Jesus and keep them there. Let your roots run deep into Jesus and you will be rooted and you will be built up and everybody's going to be benefit from it. Because here's the thing that when you are rooted, what happens? You become strong and vigorous in your faith and your life overflows with thanksgiving into everyone else's life around you. I love that imagery. I love how it paints the picture of how when we choose Jesus to be our Savior and our King, a new chapter in our lives begins. It takes a turn that this is the life that he has for us. There's purpose in this. A life that is rooted in right relationship with him and rooted in right relationship with the rest of his body, other believers that we would lock arms and we would come alongside one another, living out our purpose, our faith in such a way that everything that we are would point everything back to who he is and his love for us. That there's this call on our lives. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for how George framed up this conversation for us this last week about how we make the most of our lives. And that when we step into that, we're humbling our hearts and we're choosing to serve and embrace this call as the church to lock arms with one another so that others would, they wouldn't just see his love firsthand, but they would feel it and they would experience it and it would be through us because that's what God wants to do. He wants to do a work in us. Scripture says in Ephesians 2 that we are his handiwork, we're his masterpiece, that we're created anew in Christ. And it's so that we could get to work doing good stuff, not so that we would be saved, but because we have been saved. And I tell you, if, if there's anything, if you miss everything else that I say this morning, grab a hold of this. 
Because here's the thing. I believe that God wants to do a work in us, and he wants to do a work with us, and he wants to do a work through us. And it all begins when we choose to accept the fact that he's done a good work for us. Everything begins to change when we step into the story in this way. And I tell you, as we started this conversation last week, we're just going to pick up where we left off with this idea of how we make the most of our lives. And it looks like a certain lifestyle, one of serving. And the truth for us is, us is this, that more than likely, most of us, if not all of us in the room, probably already have an idea of how we want to make the most of our lives. Or we're surrounded by a bunch of people who want to tell us how to make the most of our lives. Sometimes they're parents. Sometimes they're friends. Sometimes they're preachers. Right? Sometimes we've got all these people. Sometimes it's just a commercial and you're like, I would buy that, whatever that is, because that would help me make the most of my life. We're surrounded by all these things about how we go about making the most of our time, of our money, of our investments, of our vocation, our education, our marriages, our families. And anybody ever want to make the most of their vacation? Anybody? Am I the only one? Right? Like, is anyone praying, waiting in eager expectation for spring break alongside me? Okay, yes, some of you are honest, right? No, I, I tell you, like, my kids on my day off, they have no shortage of ideas and opinions about how to make the most of those days. But it matters. It matters who we give voice to in our lives about how to make the most of our lives. It matters who we give voice to in our lives about how to make the most of our lives. And I believe that Jesus has something to say about that. And so this weekend, as we continue in this conversation, we're going to be hanging out in a passage that more than likely everybody in this room, you know the story. You've heard it a million times. You've heard it preached a million times, probably a dozen different ways. We are going to unpack in Luke chapter 10, the gospel of Luke Chapter 10, The Good Samaritan, the story found there. And we're going to do our best to apply some fresh eyes and see what God has for us this weekend. And some of you, we may be thinking, let's just call it what it is. You may not learn anything new this weekend. Right? Some of you are like, that's what I was hoping for. Right? That's what you should say, Ben. No. We may not learn anything new, but we may be reminded of where our roots were or where they are or where they need to be. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump in. And if you got your Bibles, you can jump to Luke 10. Words are going to be on the screen. I'm going to read this to us. But before, I, at the risk of redundancy, i got to tell you what I tell our young adults all the time. And it is simply this. When we step into the story of Scripture, we do it with expectant hearts. Because God intends to do something with our time together in it. If this is what it says it is, he intends to do something with it. And we don't want to be careless with that. We want to be humble and expectant with that. So Luke chapter 10, words are on the screen. Let me read this to us now in one big chunk. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by. 
down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So here we have this story unfold, and we're coming out of the gates, setting the scene. We've got an expert in the law. This dude would have been a scholar of Old Testament law. He would have known the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He would know it by heart. This is something he's devoted his whole life to studying and knowing it thoroughly. He would know the law better than anyone else. And he stands up to test Jesus. He's testing Jesus. And so what we learned pretty quickly is this dude, he's just trying to trip Jesus up. And it's a pretty common thing to talk about God's stuff in public in this culture. It's a pretty common thing to take on theological discussions and discourse and start unpacking it and wrestle with what does this mean and what does this not mean and take on topics. And this is a pretty common question. It's a good question. It's a pretty common question. And it's a pretty common answer that everyone would have known. So this guy, he asks a really good question. He's just kind of shady and sketchy with his motives in the way that he asks. He's trying to trip Jesus up. So to him, this isn't just a quiz. This isn't just a pop quiz. He's trying to set a trap for Jesus. And Jesus, is, he's hoping, will fall into this trap, only to find he's going to be him that falls in the trap. And he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not asking with a teachable spirit. He's not asking because he wants to be taught. He's asking because he wants to know the essence of Jesus' teaching. He wants to know what matters most to Jesus. He's trying to get to the bottom line of what Jesus is preaching and teaching so that he can compare it to the law that he knows inside and out with the intent to try and prove Jesus wrong. But Jesus ain't going to play that game. And so Jesus sends the expert in the law straight back into the law with the question, well, how do you read it, my man? What's it telling you? And the guy gives this great answer. He quotes the law. He quotes the Shema. And here's what this would be. This is something that every kid in Israel, every adult, they would recite this every day like we would the Pledge, Pledge of Allegiance. This is something that everyone would hear. As him being a scholar, him being an expert, he would be reciting this at least two times a day. And what he does is he summarizes the law. All of the rest of God's commands are summarized in these two pieces of the law. And he takes them and he sandwiches them. Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the answer that he gives Jesus. And basically, it's a really good answer. But it's nothing. It's not a new idea. They know this. Basically, it is love God with everything that you are, everything that you have, everything that you were and will be. Love God totally and love your neighbor as good as you love yourself. Because we all know we love to love ourselves. Right? That's what he sets before Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah. 
That's what it is. And he literally quotes the law back to him by saying, do that and you will live. And what we may be missing this moment is this is the point where the dude knows he's being called out by Jesus. This is the point where he realizes that Jesus is like, bro, that's a great answer. But there's a gap in how you're living. And I think for us, there's something huge that if we slow down long enough, we can grab a hold of it here. That's quite relevant for us today. So if you're taking notes and you're in that little itty bitty thing and you want to write something down, here's what you got. You can have all the right answers and still miss the heart of God. You can have all the right answers and still miss the heart of God. You can have all the right things to say and all the right things to do. And you can have all the things that go with it and still do the wrong things or do the wrong thing, the right things for the wrong reasons. You can follow all the rules. You can even make up your own rules and still miss God's law of love. Jesus sends him back into the law, not because the law is what saves us, but it's because the law is what helps us understand just how much we need saving. He had the right answer, but wasn't living it out. And he just didn't want to admit his own lack of love for God and his neighbor. And for us, I think it's a beautiful, necessary reminder that we can connect in the life of the church and we can give our tithes and offerings and we can engage in God's word. We can sing songs of praise and we can serve our guts out. And it's still quite possible that we could do all of those good, good things for all kinds of other reasons than for the reason of loving God. It's possible. So what do we learn here? Motive matters. Motive matters. It always matters. That's why I think the most practical way we demonstrate our love for God is by loving others as good as we love ourselves. So here's something I think we can grab a hold of. The way we love God determines how we love our neighbors. But the way we love our neighbors defines who our God is. We all know that our purpose is to love God and love people. And how you love God, it will shape the way we love people. But the way you love people, it's going to tell people who your God is. It's going to tell who your God is. And so the way we love and the way we don't, it matters. It all matters. Because here's the thing. We're either going to point people to Jesus or we're going to push people away by how we live and by how we love. And so the hard question that lands in each of our laps is simply this, that like, where are people headed because of how we're living? Where are people moving in their life because of how we're choosing to love? It's a hard question that we got to wrestle with, and so is this dude. Because this is the point where he knows he's stuck. He knows that there's no wiggle room. And he does not want to look like he's just asked the captain obvious question in front of everyone. He's still trying to win the point. And instead of just saying, like, my bad, Jesus, you got me, Right? Instead of just repenting and having a posture of being teachable in this moment, he tries to justify himself. He tries to justify himself. And here's the thing about justifying. The only way to justify yourself is to diminish the demands of the law. And I think that's quite relevant for us because I don't know about you, but I've found myself there. Instead of letting Jesus do the saving, we try to save ourselves. And we forget that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He's the righteousness that we need. It's not our law-keeping ability that saves us. We can't live up to it. We can't earn this 
eternal life. That's the point. But this cat thinks it is. He thinks that he can. So the choice for us is we can either embrace Jesus and the grace that he gives, or we can trim it back and we can cut it back and tone it down and tweak it just a little bit. And what do we do? We rationalize and we justify and then we customize and start modifying. We do all these little things to compromise so that we can make God's commands fit our lifestyle instead of our lifestyle yield to God's commands. And we will tell ourselves lies and embrace lies like, oh, he didn't really mean that. Or he's cool with this. He's not cool with it in their life. He's pretty okay with it in mine. He wasn't that serious. Or we tell ourselves things that like, hey, like if nobody sees it, it doesn't count. We buy into these lies. He's looking for a technicality. I think that's what we find ourselves doing too, but he's looking for a technicality when, when he asks this question. So, who is my neighbor? And what he's really getting at is this. Who do I have to love and who do I not have to love? Have you ever found yourself wrestling with that question? Who is it that I need to love and who can we just like not right now? We wrestle with this. And this is how Jesus responds. He gives us a story. And in verse 30, this man, we can assume that he's a Jewish man, but he doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he's a Jewish man. We can assume it because more than likely that's who all of the people are who's listening to him right now. But maybe the reason why we don't know that he's Jewish is because maybe that's, that's the point, that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where he's from. It doesn't matter his ethnicity. What matters is we are told what we're told about him and that he's hurt and he's in need. Jesus is near this road that he's talking about. All these people would have known what this road is from Jerusalem to Jericho. They all would have known how dangerous it was and how treacherous it was. This is a real road. And more than likely, it's a real story that he's talking about here. It's a 17-mile stretch between Jerusalem and Jericho. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. It's treacherous. It's dangerous. It's windy. There's curves. There's corners. There's caves. There's all kinds of twists and turns and places for bad guys to hang out and do bad things to people. And everyone knows this. They're ready to strike a lonely traveler because they're an easy target. And these bad guys, they jump him, they rob him, they beat him, and they strip him naked and leave him for dead in a ditch. He's in critical condition. And the first two guys that come by choose to walk on by. They choose to pass on by a priest and a Levite. Who are these cats? Here's what a priest is. A priest is the guy that would be in temple sacrifice. He would be the one officiating over everything that's going on in the temple worship space. The Levite would be the guy that would be helping maintain the facilities and helping make all that stuff unfold and help it all come together. And both of these guys, both of these guys would have been obligated to, to remain ceremonially clean while on duty about four weeks of the year. And when they were on duty, when it was their job, they were to remain ceremonially clean. And that means this, they couldn't touch a dead body. And so maybe here when they approach this guy, they see this guy who looks dead. And they can't touch a guy who's dead because it would disqualify them from their sacred duties. And it begs the question, maybe that's why they passed by? Like maybe? And maybe it's because there's, there's somehow, some way that they have some good reason 
for not stopping. They had some good reason. And maybe the reason why is because we're trying to let them off the hook because we want to let ourselves off the hook too. Because they didn't stop. Maybe it's because they were just serving so much. They had so much going on and they just needed, they were anxious to get home and they were tired. Maybe, maybe it's because they were afraid that the, the bandits were still out there and they were gonna just be the next victim because they're using this guy as bait. Here's the thing. No, that's not what happened. Because verse 31 is what tells us that the priest happened to be going down the same road. He didn't have a plan where he was going. But he was going down, which means he was not going up towards Jerusalem. He was headed out of town, which means he was not working and he was not headed to work. It means that that was not priority one. And the same thing for the Levite. As he's going down, if they were on their way to work in the temple, they would have been going up and they would have been going together in a group. And these guys, they're traveling alone. And so the bottom line is they had no excuse not to stop. And when they saw him, they passed by on the other side of the road. And it's because something else mattered more to them than meeting this guy's needs. They chose to preserve their purity at the cost of their obedience to God's law of love. And if there's anybody, anybody that's going to carry out the Old Testament law, it would have been these guys. And they didn't. And they never even got close enough to say, like, bro, are you okay? You do not look so good right now. He didn't get close enough to even say, hey, do you need help? Didn't, didn't, didn't take a pulse, didn't check to see if his life didn't call for help. They didn't do anything, hoping that ignorance would be bliss. And maybe right now, maybe right now we've never found ourselves in a situation like that, where someone was in a specific situation of that kind of harm's way. Maybe, maybe we've never been in that moment, but if we dig deep enough and we're honest enough with ourselves, we can probably all think of moments and hurting people that have been around us that maybe we've opted to not get too close for the fear of feeling responsible to help. And that hits a little bit harder. Sometimes I think we're just hoping to plead ignorant. We're hoping that ignorance would be bliss. Oh, how often we choose to advert our eyes. I think we've all been there. I know I've been there. Some of us, though, right now, the first thing we think of is State Street construction. <laughs> right? You with me? That merging lane? And you're like, I don't see you. <laughs> and clearly they're there trying to get in. You're like, not today, right? <laughs> it's hard to see past ourselves when our purpose is living for ourselves. It's hard to see past. Sometimes, though, we are moving so fast that we forget that God is leading us to moments. He's giving us moments to step into. Moments that he says, his word says that he is prepared in advance for us to step into. We can't be the ones that miss our moments. But this is where the story takes a turn. It's in verse 33 when a Samaritan, it says that he saw him and says that he took pity on him. That, he, that means that he had compassion on him. And here's what we got to know about the, the Samaritans and the Jews. They did not get along. There's all kinds of bad blood here. And this is way worse than like Taylor Swift bad blood. Okay, this is... Some of you got that, right? <laughs> now we got yeah, right? So here's the thing. 
they hate each other. They do not get along. There is hundreds and hundreds of years of historical baggage. There's all kinds of ethnic tension. They would see each other as enemies, even though they are neighbors geographically. Literally, the chapter right before in Luke chapter 9, Jesus, Jesus is wanting to take his disciples through a Samaritan village. And the Samaritan village does not want to let them come through because of who they are. And the first thing that the disciples, when they pitch their ideas to Jesus of how to handle it, they simply say like, hey, Jesus, are you cool if we like ask God to rain down fire on them and destroy the village? And Jesus is like, no, full stop. No, like, no, we're not doing that. And some of us, our minds are straight back to State Street and the way we approach traffic. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's redefining the commonly held definition of what it means to be neighbor. He's taking this story of how an enemy is who is the one who came to the aid of this man. And it's in these next verses that the story slows down to capture every detail. That's one thing that's so amazing what Luke does in his gospel and in the book of Acts. He captures so much detail because this Samaritan man, he drew near. He had a plan where he was going. He was headed somewhere on purpose, but he did not let that plan interrupt the opportunity to step in and meet this man's needs. He didn't have a first aid kit. More than likely, he used his own clothes to bandage this dude's wounds. He poured his own wine to disinfect his wounds. He poured his own oil to soothe the pain of these wounds. And he put the man on his own donkey. He spent his own money for his food and his lodging. He spent the night caring for him. And he spent two days wages, these two silver coins. That would have been two months rent to stay in this inn. And he even went so far as to say, if that's not enough, I'll come back and I'll give more. I'll take care of him. Why? Like, Why on earth would somebody spend their own money? Why on earth would they risk their own life? Why on earth would they change all of their plans, all of their plans to meet the needs of an enemy, someone who more than likely hated him? Why? Because mercy doesn't need reasons. Mercy doesn't need reasons. Compassion is not just feeling pain for someone. It's feeling pain with someone and choosing to do something about it. There's so much more because he didn't have to to like him, to choose to love him and to meet his needs. So I want you to hear me on this. Compassion is action. Compassion is action. Hard work It's worth it work when it's good work. Compassion does not stand idle. Compassion demands action. Compassion doesn't just feel. Compassion acts. And I think for us, there's so much truth that we can grab a hold of here. And I don't want us to miss this because there is a high cost to caring. But there's a higher cost to not. There's a high cost to care. But the cost is way higher when we don't. The priest and the Levite, they forfeited so much more by their neglect than the Samaritan did by his concern. The priest and the Levite, they missed their opportunity to be a good example. They missed their opportunity to be men of character. They missed their opportunity to be men of God. They missed their opportunity to set the example of that this is what matters most to God, that we would love in this way. 
They missed all these opportunities that God had given them to steward this. They could have been a good influence in a messed up world and they opted out. But the Samaritan, this act of mercy, I mean, just think for a moment how much sacrificial ministry has been inspired over the last 2,000 years because of this dude. And we don't even know his name because he stepped into the moment. And it just makes me wonder, how many moments have I missed to be the hands and feet of Jesus? How many moments do we miss? Because we got plans and they're oh so very important to us. The cost of caring is high. The cost of not is way higher. It's way higher. Great needs will only be met with great sacrifice. So the question is, will, will we be willing? How willing are we to step into these moments? Because I believe that no act of love in the name of Jesus is ever lost. No act of love in the name of Jesus is ever lost. Every act in the name of Jesus changes the trajectory of people's lives. That's what it does. So here's what we can grab a hold of here. Being a neighbor is not about who someone else is. It's about who you are. It's not about who someone else is. It's about who you are. It's not defined by where you are. It's defined by who you are. Being a neighbor, it's not, it's not rooted in place. It's rooted in posture. It's not about location. It's about need. And I think that's what makes this story so powerful because it completely destroys and demolishes our understanding of what it means to be in the same neighborhood with somebody else. It completely demolishes that. The expert in the law, he would have totally thought that the Samaritan man would be a non-neighbor because to him, God is the God of Israel and his neighbors are his Jewish neighbors. But for Jesus, Israel's God is the God of grace for the whole world, and his neighbor is anyone in need. This guy, he's trying to smoke Jesus out. The expert in the law, he's trying to smoke him out. He's trying to make Jesus make a misstep. And Jesus takes his question about who a neighbor is and tells a story about what it means to be a neighbor. And he reveals the bigger picture and the purpose with clarity that this is what love looks like. And he poses the question, so which do you think was a neighbor to this man? And in verse 37, this guy, he's got a reply. And he simply says, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say Samaritan. But he couldn't deny the story either. And so Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And I think he says the same thing to us. Go and do likewise. The expert in the law the expert in the law, he tried to make it ambiguous and general. And Jesus says, no, this is personal. He tried to make it theoretical and hypothetical and philosophical and complex. And Jesus says, no, it is simple and it is practical. Jesus says it's about love and love acts and love moves. And dare I say, love does. Because this is what love looks like. This is a phrase that my family uses all the time. Team Woods. 
our culture code. One of the things we talk about is this is what love looks like. And here's what my wife and I have tried to do is we want to attach words with actions so that when our kids are serving one another or serving anybody else, that they would know that this is what love looks like. So no matter what it is that they're doing, however they serve one another, anybody will say this is what love looks like. Well, my baby girl, uh, my nine-year-old, Calla, um, this, she's a sweet thing and she's a sassy thing and she's, she's got so much life in her and she has been wanting to go to Romania for years so that she can love on family and love on kids. All right? And every year I take a mess of young adults with me and I don't get to take her. And, uh, and here's what she's been doing. She's been saving money and raising money so that she can go to Romania. All right? She's been, doing, she's been selling, making slime and selling it online. So good heavens. <laughs> For anyone who has supported her, I am so sorry for what may be in your carpet right now, okay? (laughs) But I love this little girl's heart. And here's the thing. She's always trying to pick up new ways to to score some extra cash to go towards this. And one of the things she's like wants to do more chores or any projects around the house, this, that, whatever. And she has this one thing that she knows daddy loves. And so she asks all the time. And it's this job, rubbing my feet. (laughs) And I love it. And she knows it. And she's always like, now, Daddy, Mondays are your day off. So that day's free. Every other day's going to cost you. (laughs) It's like when she tells me how much, I'm like, good heavens, that's expensive. And then she tells me, she's like, it's for a good cause. And it's like, (laughs) yes. But on Mondays, here's what she does. And she'll be so sweet, so kind. And the whole time, you know what she's saying? Daddy? This is what love looks like. And I love it. And it tells me that maybe, maybe, maybe she's learning that this is what it actually looks like. Sometimes we're silly with it. Sometimes, all the time, we are seriously trying to teach that this is what love looks like. And loving looks like serving. Loving looks like doing. And it has to do with who we choose to be. Love is so much more a choice than it is a feeling. Our culture is so confused in that right now. Love is a choice. And so maybe for us right now, don't worry about who your neighbor is. Just choose to be one yourself. Don't worry about who your neighbor is or who your neighbor isn't. Choose to be one yourself and expand your neighborhood. Expand your neighborhood. Make room for the people that God is trying to place in your life so that he could love them well through you. Because your neighbor is whoever is in need of you. So what does love look like in your life? How can you expand your neighborhood? Because I'm telling you, we cannot claim Christ and stand idly by while the world is lying half dead in a ditch. We can't. The other night, I was telling this story to my kids to my oldest and my middle, to Ezra, who's almost 12, and Kala, who's nine. And my wife, Crystal, was putting our baby girl, Lila, to bed. And so I'm just getting a little moment in our devotional time. It's just the three of us. And I'm like, I'm going to read to them this, this story. And they've heard it a million times. And I read it to them. And, and I, I asked them, I'm like, what, do you, what does this make you think of? And this is one of those like super proud daddy moments. <laughs> and they both reply almost in unison. And they said, well, Dad, you look out for the left out. This is another Team Woods culture code for you here. This is a prayer that I pray over my kids all the time in the mornings before they go to school that they would look out for the left out. 
that their eyes would be open, that they would be looking to see who is it out there that needs someone to be their friend for no other reason other than that they exist. And I asked them, you guys want to preach this weekend? <laughs> to which they quickly replied, no, that's your job. <laughs> it just reminded my heart, our eyes have to be open if we are going to see needs. And our hearts have to be open if we are going to feel needs. And our arms had better be open if we're going to meet needs. We have to be open. And if we want to make the most of our lives, our eyes will be open, our hearts will be open, and our arms will be open. If we want to make the most of our lives, we will look out for the left out. We will adopt the heart of Jesus and our hearts will ache for those in need. If we want to make the most of our lives, we will invest our lives into the lives of others. We will get in the ditch and we will not care how messy it is and how dirty our hands get. We will not be afraid of that. If we want to make the most of our lives, we will run to the messes, not from the messes, because we remember the mess that we've been saved from. And with us, we will bring love and compassion of Christ. And if there was ever a time in history that authentic, radical, limitless love for others was needed, I think it's now. And the only reason why it's now is because it's your time. Because you're here. This is on us. A love without limits, with no concern about where they came from or what they look like or how they're living, or the mess that they found themselves in. Because, because here's the deal, it's now. Because we're the church. We are the people of God empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the world with the gospel of Jesus. And this is how our Savior has chosen to make himself known. Maybe revival is waiting on us to step into this story. And so here's the deal. If we're going to wrap this thing up, I'm going to encourage you, hang tight. We're going to wrap this up. And right on the other side of these walls are conversations waiting for you. When we say so in love, we're getting at something. And there are thousands of us that are stepping into the story of the way we serve and love within these walls and beyond these walls. There's so many passionate people out here ready to introduce to you ways that you can love and love well. And I believe this, God has given each and every one of us gifts, each and every one of us passions, and all around us are opportunities where they collide for the kingdom. And oh, how blessed you will be and how big of a blessing you will be if you step into the story of serving in such a way within and beyond our walls. Those opportunities are there. But the reality for us is this. The reality for us is this. Those are pathways to a posture of purpose. But the truth of the matter is all around us are people lying in a ditch and they're wondering if somebody's going to help them out. And they're saying, don't leave me like this. Don't leave me like this. Waiting for someone to change their plans to pull them out. Some of them, they wound up in that ditch because of their own choices. Some of them because of somebody else's choices. And it turns out it doesn't matter how they got there. What matters is that we don't leave them there. Because Jesus didn't leave us there.
So will we be the ones that move beyond our walls and love others out of the ditch that they are in? Each and every one of us are poor in something. And our minds go to material or to physical, but the truth is we're all poor in something. Emotionally, spiritually, socially, relationally, all of our ollies are at stake. We're all poor in something. And so maybe your step this weekend Maybe your step this weekend, admit you're in the ditch, but maybe your step this weekend is to be reminded somebody pulled you out. Maybe your step this weekend is to open your eyes anew and your heart anew and your arms anew to all of those opportunities around you to adopt the heart of Jesus. Because I'm telling you, The only thing better than God changing your life is God using your life to change somebody else's. Will we be those people? Because I think that's how you make the most of everything. But maybe you don't know where to start. And if you're wondering this thing that was handed to you when you came in, this is how you can get started. It's just a simple little thing, really simple, super simple, a way to look over maybe the prayer life of saying, God, who are you putting in my path that I could love well? Who is it that you've set in front of me that I could pour into? Start there and invite him into it and invite somebody else into it and open your arms wide because you have no idea how God intends to use your faithfulness, but you can trust that he will. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for pulling us out of the ditch. Remind our hearts where our roots need to be, that they would be deep in you and that we would grow up strong and vigorous in our faith and the overflow of our lives would be thanksgiving and that would spill out onto everybody. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a beautiful weekend.